Not only is God my king, but the things that I think are right, the things that, that work within my heart, we have to realize our heart comes from a wicked state. Our heart is messed up. And so as a result, we have to just double our efforts to say, I'm going to do what God has. I'm going to follow God's rule. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to see what God's word lays out for me. Now, as we come to chapter 19, 20, and 21, it's probably the darkest uh, story anyways that we have uh, laid out for us in the book of Judges. But it happened before the heroes we've read about. This is one of the first things that occurred. It's not the last thing that happened. It's one of the first things that occurred. Judges is not given to us in a chronological order. So as we look, we have this appendix. Last time we talked about uh, um, some of those things that were going on in, in the hearts of the children of Israel and the attitude of the Levites. Remember, the Levites weren't busy teaching God's word. The people weren't searching for God's word. Nobody was, was making God's word a priority. And so the downward spiral began. Chapter 19 begins with us experiencing very similar to the same thing. It says, it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. Well, there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. And he took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. So two things we learn in the first verse. One, there's a Levite. And two, he's not where he's supposed to be. The Levites were supposed to be the teachers of the nation of Israel. They were the ones who were to take the word and make sure that the children of Israel, the upcoming generations, had opportunity to know what God's word taught. But what are these guys doing? He's in a remote area of the mountains of Ephraim. He's not in the cities that were set aside for the Levites. He's doing his own thing. But we already know that from the book of Judges, right? What did it say? In those days, there's no king in Israel, and everyone did what? Was right in their own heart. So the Levite says, hey, this is what I want to do. So that's what he does. He puts himself in a remote area. He's not doing that which he's called of God to do. And he takes a concubine. Now, as we look at that, it's important that we understand what a concubine is in the Bible. There's a lot of misconception about a concubine. Let me straighten it out for you. A concubine is a wife that has no right to his inheritance. A concubine is like a, a wife who signed a prenup and doesn't get anything. Her children can be part of the inheritance. And oftentimes a concubine is taken because a man has a wife who's barren and hasn't given him any children. We find many of the, of the, the leaders, the, the heads of state, if you will, for the nation of Israel, having concubines, having uh, that. And so here we see the same thing occurring. He's taken of himself a concubine, a wife with no rights. The downside to being a concubine is most of the time your husband doesn't care about you at all. You're a little better than a, a piece of property for him. And we really see that to be true in this particular story. Now it says, His concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. So she leaves him. She gets fed up. Whatever's going on at home. Says she played the harlot. She left him. Maybe she left him for another guy. Maybe she left with another guy. But she went back to her father's house. Verse 3 says, Then her husband arose and went to her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. 
having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. And verse 4 says, Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him. And he stayed with him three days. So they ate and they drank and they lodged there. Now one of the things we see about this Levite, and we're going to see as we continue to read the story, he liked to party. So he gets there. Her dad and him kind of hit it off. And they begin to, to drink and eat and just spend the day merrymaking. Or Bible ease for drinking more than he probably should. And, and eating and sitting around telling stories. So that's what they did for three days. It came to pass in verse 5. On the fourth day they arose early in the morning and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, Ah, oh, refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterwards go your way. So they sat down, and the two of them ate and drank together. And the young woman's father said to the man, Please be content to stay all night, and let your heart be merry. So let's just, just one more night of partying. So he agrees. When the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. Now then he arose early in the morning of the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, Oh, please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon, and both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine, his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father, said to him, Look, the day is now drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early so that you can get home. Now, he's kind of fed up with staying. He wants to go home. But every time he gets up in the morning, the father-in-law talks him into hanging out for one more night. Oh, I'll stay for one more night. But in his desire to do what he wants, he puts his family at risk. He puts his family at risk because now it's already getting close to evening. And in those days, especially in the land of Israel, when there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own heart, it was not safe to travel at night. It wasn't safe to go out. But he's kind of fed up with Stan and he's tired of putting it off. So in verse 10 it says, However, the man was not willing to spend that night. So he rose and departed. And he came opposite Jebus, which is Jerusalem. With him were the two saddle donkeys. His concubine also was with him. And they were near Jebus, and the day was far spent. So the servant said to his master, Come, please, let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master said to him, Oh, we will not turn aside here into a city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. Now that turns out to be a bad decision. The reason he doesn't want to stay in Jebus or in Jerusalem is because he wants to go to a place where he's going to be among his brethren. Now that seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Well, sure it does. Seems like a great plan. But there's a way that seems right to a man. And that way is not often God's way. So we have here a Levite who should know the word of God, who spends a lot of time partying and not being where he ought to be because he wants to do whatever he feels like doing in his heart, whatever makes him happy. And what makes him happy right now is to pass by Jerusalem and go to uh, Gibeah. He wants to go to that place. And it's a bad idea, but no concept of calling on the name of the Lord. No concept of prayer or, or considering, Lord, what would you have me to do? And, and before we we're very hard on them, as we'll see in a moment, we often do the very same thing. We think this is a small decision. 
It's a little thing. I really don't need to pray about it. I really don't need to seek the Lord about this little thing, about this little concept. Do you remember Joshua, when we studied the book of Joshua, and they just had that great victory at Ai, and they, or I mean at uh, Jericho, and they're getting ready to go to Ai. And now before Jericho, Joshua comes before the commander of the Lord's army. He meets with the Lord Jesus Christ. He receives his marching orders. I mean, he's leaning into the Lord all the way because Jericho is a big place. It don't look very easy. And God gives them the victory. But when they looked at Ai, they don't even think about calling on the Lord. That's a little place. You know, that, that, them people are easy to whoop. We'll go take care of it. And Ai routed the army of Israel. And I think 3,000 die in that, in that battle. Anyway, there's a, the, the battle the children of Israel lose and are, and are chased back uh, to their camp. And as we look at that... We, we need to realize that there's a call, a specific call of God, that we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We either do it or we don't. That we don't lean into our own understanding. That means it's not about what I think or what my heart tells me is right. It's about what's God's word tell me? Where is the Lord directing me? Scripture goes on to tell us in that proverb, In all our ways, acknowledge Him. In everything we do, bring it before the Lord. And what does he promise to do? Direct our path. He'll show us the way to go. And that's what we need to understand. We really need to understand it. Because we don't have any idea what that right turn is going to bring. What that left turn is going to bring. What that choice to go here or go there. What, what kind of ramifications that has on us. God sees the whole picture. God sees the whole picture. And we want to trust him in that. Well, he didn't seek the Lord. He doesn't want to stay in Jebus. It seems like a good idea because they're pagans. He wants to go stay with his brethren. So they're going to go on to Gibeah. It says, uh, as we continue on now in verse 13, So he said to his servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. So they passed by and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go into lodge in Gibeah. And when he had went in, he sat down in the open square of the city. For no one would take them into his house to spend the night. So the first mark we see as they come into in, within the land of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, into uh, Gibeah, they come into the open square. Now the commandment that the Lord had was to be hospitable to the stranger that had come. In fact, the Lord continues to give us that command, doesn't he, in the book of Hebrews. He says, be careful to entertain strangers. For some of you have entertained angels unaware. The idea for God's people to be a hospitable people, to, to be open and willing to help when, when they're able. But as they come in, nobody wants to help them. Nobody wants to open the door to them. And this is his, his brethren. These are his people. But he comes into the square, and he's of the mind that he's just going to sleep there in the square, in the open square of the city. Well, it says, Just then an old man came in from his work in the field at evening, who was also from the mountains of Ephraim, and he was staying in Gibeah, uh, whereas the men of the place were Benjamites. So an old man comes in from Ephraim. That's the same place that this Levite is from. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going and where do you come from? So he said, well, we're passing uh, from Bethlehem in Judah toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. And I am from there. I went to Bethlehem in Judah. And now I am going to the house 
of the Lord. But there is no one who will take me into his house. Now, when he says, I'm going to the house of the Lord, he may be going to Bethel. Bethel, remember, means a house of the Lord. Probably he's not going to Shiloh where the tabernacle was set up. But he's going to that town. Headed toward Bethel at this time. He's going uh, on back to his home. He says, Although we have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself and for the female servant and for the young man who is with your servant, there's no lack of anything. So he says, I don't need anything from anybody. We got all the food. I got all the stuff to feed the animals. I just need a place to crash. Well, the old man said, Well, peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Only do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house and gave fodder for the donkeys. And they washed their feet and they ate and they drank. So again, he comes in. He's got an opportunity to to party with a guy he hasn't known before. They're hanging out. They're having a good time. Everything seems like it's going to come up roses. And as they were enjoying themselves... Suddenly, certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally. So the men of Gibeah, Benjamites, children of Israel, have gone so far in their decline as they've neglected God's word, they've neglected God's worship, they've neglected the things that the Lord would call them to, they are just like another city. We heard a story like this about, didn't we? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. So here they're in this place, and a stranger has come into their city, and men go to the house. I can't even imagine this happening, but the men go to the house, beat on the door, and say, hey, put your guest out here. We want him. They want to take him. They want to abuse him. And so just like in the story that we read uh, in the book of Genesis, as we took a look at Sodom and Gomorrah, we have very similar circumstances here. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and he said, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them and do to them as you please. But... To this man, do not do such a vile thing. I don't even understand where that mindset comes from. But it it must be within the head of man, because this is the second time we're reading a story just like it. So little care is given for his daughter or the man's concubine. Now, the men don't want it. That's not what the men want. For whatever reason, the men want to abuse the the stranger that's gone into the house. But as we look at this story, the point of the story is not who's done wrong to whom. It is, look how far the children of Israel are at the end of Joshua and the beginning of Judges. It didn't take them that long to get to that point. From the end of Joshua to the beginning of Judges. Remember, this is before the Judges have come onto the scene. You're not reading about the Philistines ruling it over the people or the Moabites ruling it over the people, right? 
The people are under their own control. We're going to see as we read these three chapters, there's nobody ruling over the children of Israel. So the time of the judges hasn't arisen. So we're right before the the Lord begins to bring in that judgment and do those kind of things within the nation. And already, look how they are. And what was the formula that brought them to that place? A neglect of God's Word. A neglect of worship and neglect of the commandments of God that that the family the unit of the family would be the place where that instruction would take place remember we've talked about it that the foundations would be laid upon the word of God you remember Deuteronomy chapter 6 we've talked about it a few times that your gates it would be mounted upon your gates when they people walked in the gates of your property, they would know that this is a place founded on the Word of God. When they entered into your door, they would know as they entered into your door that this is a place founded upon the Word of God. When you looked at the back of your hand, whatever you did with your hands, they would be bound, the Word of God bound to your hand. That your hands would do what the Word of God lays out. That it would be frontlets between your eyes. That idea of like headlights, that which guides you and directs you. That that would be what keeps you on track. But as soon as we neglect that, it's not very far to this. It's not very far to a a life that is spiraling out of control. Now, unfortunately as a pastor, I have the opportunity occasionally to talk to people whose lives have spiraled out of control. I can tell you one common denominator. They all say, I don't know how I got here so fast. Just a little while ago, it seemed like things were going okay. And now, I'm in this place. I'm in this place. But it always starts the same way. Same way it started for them. Neglecting God's word. Neglecting opportunities of worship. The family's no longer founded on that. In those days, there's no king in Israel or no king in the home. And everyone just does what makes you feel good. That's a recipe for disaster. So here the men are outside begging on the door. And here these knuckleheads are offering their their women. The people that God, according to God's law, they are required by the word of God to protect. But they're ready to offer them up. To give them away. So in verse 25 says, but the men would not heed him. So the man, now this is now the visitor, the man took his concubine and brought her out to them. So he goes outside and throws her out the door basically and closes the door. And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. And the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. Number one shocking thing, after he threw her out to the mob, he went to sleep. How do you do that? He opened the door, put her out, the one that God's word declares he is to protect. He puts her outside, gives her these men, and that's it. Man, he's, he's chill. I, I can go right to sleep. I can go right to sleep. That's not the only shocking thing. Look what the scripture says. When the master arose in the morning and he opened the door of the house and went out to go his way, there was his concubine falling at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said, get up, let's go. <laughs> it's a knucklehead. It's all right. It's 
It's unreal the, the morality of this man. But the key to the morality of this man has been the neglect of God's Word. I can take you to places in Africa, the same stuff happens. Multiple third world countries where the same kind of thing happens. We all neglect or decide we don't want to read the stories anymore about what's going on in Kenya or Rwanda. What's happening in those places still to this day. Very similar. The idea, the teaching in Africa that a man who is, has HIV or AIDS, if he has sex with a, a young girl who doesn't have it, it'll pass out of him to her and he'll be okay. That's why the spread of AIDS is so rampant. And that's why there are so many rapes. And what's the key? What's the common denominator? Their lives are not founded on the Word of God. There is no king. There is no government. There is no rule. God is not in charge. And everyone does what's right in their own heart. And the heart of man is wicked. Apart from God... There is no end to the evil that man can do. None. Whether it's this guy or us. Neglect the word of God. Neglect the worship of God's people. Neglect the foundation of the family. And you'll be right there. And it doesn't take as long as you think. So here the guy, hey, gets up and says, hey, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. So the man lifted her onto the donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. That's amazing. Puts her on a donkey, takes her home. But that's not the end of the crazy story. When he entered the house, he took a knife and laid hold of his concubine and divided her into twelve pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. So they're going to call for a conference that this has happened in our land. Not with the Jebusites. Not in the land held by the pagans. Not by somebody else. This was done by their own brothers. Among their own brothers. And here they're, they're surprised. This has never happened in Israel before. But up until this time, Israel always had godly leadership. What happens in a nation when it no longer has that godly leadership? What happens when it no longer has that foundation on the Word of God? The same exact thing. Men do whatever is right in their own eyes. And I, I promise you, I, when I was in school, when I was going to college, there were guys who thought a lot of things were okay that I didn't think was okay. And the argument was always the same. Well, who are you to decide that's right? You can't judge me. I can do whatever I think is right. If I think it's right, it makes it right. You want to make yourself crazy? Take philosophy. And that's what philosophy is all about. That concept that it, I have the right to think to develop my worldview, and that can be my worldview, and that's what makes right or wrong. And right is relative, and wrong is relative. Except we don't see that anywhere in reality in the world, except 
in books or when we sit around and philosophize. That's where we see it. So he takes his concubine home, doesn't bury her. Doesn't seem like he cares all that much about her. His concept is, I'm going to cut her into 12 pieces. And I'm going to send a piece to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Benjamin got a piece. They, they get a, a, a piece of the concubine, probably with a story about what occurred to her. Look what they did to her. Look what, look what happened to, to my wife who, who doesn't have rights. So in chapter 20 it says, So all the children of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba. Now that's a figure of speech. From north to the south. Everybody in the nation, they all come together. They're going to have a powwow over this. As well as the land of Gilead and the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at Mizpah. Now all of a sudden they're going to come before the Lord. And the leaders of the people, all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God. 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. That's a big army just gathering up. Big army just gathering up, come together. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone to, up to Mizpah. And the children of Israel said, tell us, how did this wicked deed happen? So the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, My concubine and I went to Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house at night because of me. And they intended to kill me, but instead they ravished my concubine so that she died. Now, not no comments about how I decided to give her to him. Open the door and say, here she is. Doesn't talk about that. He just says, they, they took her, they ravished her, they killed her. <clears throat> and so I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout the territory of the inheritance of Israel because they committed lewdness and outrage in Israel. So now they're all upset because obviously this is an evil act. But there's a few other evil acts leading up to that, wasn't there? Isn't it interesting how we have a tendency when we consider especially our own evil acts and our own decisions, somehow they're just not that big. But the evil acts perpetrated against us, now those are evil acts. Well, that's how, that's how he presents his story. That's how he lays it out to him. So he says, look, all of you children of Israel, give your advice and counsel here and now. What are we going to do about this? So all the people arose as one man, saying, none of us will go to his tent or turn back to his house. But now this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. We will take ten men out of every hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, a hundred out of every thousand, a thousand out of every ten thousand, to make provision for the people, that when they come to Gibeah and Benjamin, they may repay all the vileness they have done in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united together as one man. So they all gathered together. We're going to go whoop them. We're going to go pay them back for what they've done. And so the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin saying, What is this wickedness that has occurred among you? So before they go, they suddenly decide to start doing things like the Word of God lays out. Before you go into battle, you were to first reach out and try to make peace by allowing them the opportunity to give over the men who were guilty. Obvious, obviously not every man of Benjamin was involved. 
So they put out the call to the city, hey, whoever was involved, whoever was a part of this, send them out. So therefore, in verse 13, deliver up the men, the perverted men, who were in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. So instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from their cities to Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. So now, instead of just a problem in Gibeah, you have all of Benjamin coming to Gibeah to fight for Gibeah. Now, all of Benjamin's not as big as 400,000 guys. And then you have all the children of Israel lining up outside of Gibeah saying, Hey, somebody needs to pay the price. And nobody seems to know what the right thing is. Because in those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did whatever was right in their own heart. And in a moment, we're going to see him kind of call out to the Lord. But it's just a mess. It's just a mess because men lost their footing. Men lost their foundation. Men lost the rock that we're supposed to cling to. The psalmist would write, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When I got problems bigger than me, I can always cling to Jesus, go to Jesus, lay my problem at his feet, ask for his guidance and his direction so that God can move and work in my life. Or I can do whatever seems right to me. But when I do whatever seems right to me, I am living in the book of Judges. I'm making decisions just like the men in the book of Judges. Now, maybe I'm not doing the same stuff, but I'm doing the things that led to that. Man, I want to I live a life that, that lives that life as though there is a king. His name is Jesus. And he does rule, whether he's here or not here. And he has given me a teaching to guide me and lead me to tell me what's right and what's wrong. You want to know what Jesus wants for your life? Pick up Matthew, read chapters 5 through 7. Sermon on the Mount. He lays out the the profile, the characteristics of the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is what the, the people, the characters within the kingdom of heaven, this is how they behave. This is how they act. And it's a teaching that when we read it, we realize we fall dramatically short of God's requirement. But there it is. I can make the excuse that says, well, it's not possible, so I'll just do what's right in my own heart. Or I can say, you know what, I just need to be committed and submitted to the Lord. And I just need to live that moment, this moment, that decision out before Him. Here we have these two armies ready to come against each other. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are going to die. Enter into eternity because of the choices seemingly of, of, you can go all the way back to one Levite who decided to hang out and party longer than he should have. Or all the way back to one Levite who should have been teaching people God's word but was living in a remote area. Or a father-in-law who kept the guys around longer than he should have. So it's these little decisions, these little things. Well, what happens, hypothetically, 
If those guys are walking with the Lord, if they're founded on the Word of God, if they're spending time in God's Word, and they're spending time calling upon the Lord and, and seeking His direction, does it mean that they're never going to run into the same story? No, of course not. But at least they know they're following the Lord's direction, and God is with them. And God's hand will be upon them, and God will be in that place, whether it's through the dark time or not. God would be with him. Here we have these armies facing off against one another, ready to go into battle, ready to face one another. All the cities of Benjamin gathered together. In verse 15, And from their cities at that time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword. Beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, who numbered 700 select men. So you have in a neighborhood of 26,700 against 400,000. Yeah, for somebody. It's good odds for somebody. Among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed. So they had 700 guys that were wired wrong. 700 left-handed guys. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. So that's pretty good. I'm pretty happy if I am a, a hundred yards away or two hundred yards away. I think I put a a five shot group two hundred yards at about a silver dollar, and I was thinking that's pretty good. And here are these guys. I have you ever tried to throw a stone with a sling? Yeah, just take your belt off, put a stone in it, swing it around your head. Let go of one half of it and see how you do. And they would hit it within a hair's breadth. Man, they're just putting a, a rock in the same hole over and over and over again. 700 left-handed, wrong-wired guys that were pretty good stone throwers. They're going to be on Benjamin's side. Now beside Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 who drew the sword all of these were men of war. And the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. Wow, it's about time somebody check in with the Lord, right? Here we are on the brink of war, civil war within the nation of Israel. You know, before we go, we, one of us ought to talk to the Lord. So they're going to go inquire the Lord. So they said, which of us shall go first to the battle? Did they say, shall we go to the battle? Should we go to war? No, they said, which one should go first? Which of us should go first into the battle against the children of Benjamin? So the Lord said, Judah first. Judah's going to go first. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and camped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them because they're in the right, right? And if you're fighting for right, you're always going to win. That's the rules, right? That's the rules of the world. If you're on the side of right, you win. So... They fight against him at Gibeah. And the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah on that day and cut down to the ground 22,000 men of Israel. How'd that story go? If you're in the right, of course you're going to win, right? Nobody asked the Lord, Lord, should we go to battle? Lord, should we go and draw the sword against our brother? All they said is, who should go first? So the Lord said, send Judah first and 22,000 men die. Because in those days, there's no king in Israel. And everybody's just doing what's right in their own heart. They go in the battle and 22,000 fall. 22,000 perish. And the people 
that is, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves again and formed a battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. So day two of the battle comes. And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? All of a sudden, the question's changing. All of a sudden, what you notice because of the day's initial loss is the heart has changed. Now it's not who's going to go first and teach these guys a lesson. Now, should we go up? And it's not just go up against my enemy, but against my brother. And because of that loss, because of that time, the people's attitudes are are being adjusted. And they're realizing this is civil war. This is brother against brother. This is a murder that should never have taken place. This is evil that should never have been a part. And now at the end, at the beginning of the battle, or the second day of the battle, they're coming to that place. So they go before the Lord and they ask the Lord, What shall we do? Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go. Go up against him. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All these drew the sword. So they go back to the, to the house of God, whether that's at Shiloh or Bethel or how they exactly did it. They brought a priest, whatever the case may be. They seek the guidance of the Lord and the Lord says again, go. Sometimes we think, When we're doing what God is instructing us to do, that there's not going to be any casualties. Nobody's going to fall. Nobody's going to get hurt. Nobody's going to go down because God would never allow such a thing, would he? 22,000 and 18,000. That's 40,000 dead men. Fathers. Families. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people affected by sin. But what what again was the wages of sin? How many times? Most of the time? Every single time. The wages of sin is death. And so they go into battle and, and they get whooped in the battle again. And so the scripture says, So then all the children of Israel, that is all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. And they sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Now, on day three, they're starting to look like Israel again. Day one, they're just going through the motions. Well, let's see what God wants who to go first. Day two, they're a little bit weepy and they're recognizing that they're going to battle against their brother. But day three, how do they come before the Lord? They come before the Lord fasting. Not just the men of war, but all the people come. Their hearts are broken. Their brothers are dead. There's all the blood in the street, all this stuff going on. They're, 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 they're finally reaching a place where they come before the Lord with what? Burnt offerings. What did that say? That's an offering of consecration. They hadn't offered a burnt offering. Who knows the last time they offered a burnt offering? Who knows the last time they made a peace offering to God? If you're not at peace with God, what are you? You're at war with Him. The Bible's pretty clear. 
You're either at peace with, the, with God, you have peace with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, and your relationship with Him, or you are at war with God. But here we have the children of Israel at this time, hadn't offered any offerings. They were just coming through and offering that cursory, you know, Lord, what do you want us to do? And then, oh, we lost a battle, and now they're, each step opens your eyes a little bit more. Now, they're coming before the Lord with fasting. They're coming before the Lord weeping. Their hearts are open to receive God. What would you have us do? They're offering up offerings of consecration. I'm being committed to the Lord. That's an offering of consecration. Lord, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to your way, to what you're calling us to do, to your direction. Offering up the peace offering. There needs to be peace with me. In order to offer those things, there, there would always be that sin offering given. So that they could have that peace with God. So they're, they're coming with a totally different attitude now the third time. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days. Now this is why I'm telling you this happened before the judges. Phineas is a son of Aaron. He's a pretty old fella at the end of Joshua's life, isn't he? He's not going to go very long. Joshua and Phineas take control about the same time. Joshua has passed. Here's Phineas as the high priest. Folks, we're at the beginning now at the book of Judges. This is not the end after 400 years of debauchery. This is the beginning that led them to 400 years of debauchery. And there they are. The Ark of the Covenant is in that place. The high priest is there with them now, Phineas. And they stand before him and they say, Shall I yet go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? So now they haven't made any decisions. You agree? The first was, who goes first? So they already made a decision, they're going. The second was, you know, shall I go up against my, my brother? Their, their concept is already there. Here we go, we're going. Is it okay? I mean, we've already kind of attacked. Should I attack now? They're saying, look, should we go? Should we stay? Should we stop? They're really... For the first time saying, God, what do we do? What do we do, Lord? Whatever it is. You know, some people find themselves in a tragedy. They make their plans. They start on their plans and they ask God to bless their plans. That's like the first two times they, they sought the Lord. The third time is going before the plans are made and saying, God, do I go or do I stay? I've already committed twice. So do we stop? Do I go home? What do you have for me, God? What, what is your direction? How would you lead? <clears throat> and, and so the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hands. Now that's the first time God said that, isn't it? He didn't say that He would deliver them the first day. He didn't say He would deliver them the second day. But now He says, Go. Tomorrow I'll give them to you. So the men of Israel said, Ambush all around Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at other times. So the children of Benjamin were out against the people and, and were drawn away from the city. And they began to strike down and kill some of the people as they had at other times in the highways. Now one of which goes up to Bethel, the other to Gibeah. 
And in the field, about 30 men of Israel. So 30 men of Israel, they've slain as it, it begins. It looks like Israel's being routed again. And the children of Benjamin said to themselves, They are defeated before us, just as before. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highway. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from their positions in the plain of Gibeah. So the picture is, the army's going out, they start to lose, they run away. As they run away, it draws the armies of Benjamin. They come out away from the city to follow them. Oh, we got them, we're going to whoop them, and they chase them. But they've set an ambush. So as they come out, they're going to find themselves ambushed, flanked from the sides and from the rear. That there's going to be an army that goes into the back of the city. There's an army that's going to flank them. And the army that they're chasing is going to stop and turn around. And they're going to find themselves in a bad situation. This is the battle plan as they come in. In verse 34 it says, And 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah. And the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. Isn't that how it is? Do you remember when we studied Samson? He thought he was still going to be strong, didn't he? How many times when the Lord is departed, when the Lord left Saul and Saul didn't know it? Isn't that sad? They didn't know disaster was upon them. Because there was no king. And everyone did what was right in his own heart. And they find themselves in this terrible position. So the children of Benjamin... Uh, verse 35, Then the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites that drew the sword. How many did we start with? You remember? 26,000, was that what it was? 26,700? Now, or of those 26,700 were left-handed, now you have 25,100 gone. 600 left. They're going to take the entire tribe of Benjamin down to 600 men. And that's it. So here the battle is going. Now they give you the kind of the summation of it. Now he's going to break it down a little bit. It says, Now the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. And the men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the men in ambush, which they had set against Gibeah. So the men in ambush quickly rushed upon Gibeah. The men in the ambush spread out. Struck the whole city with the edge of the sword, so everyone in the city is destroyed. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city, whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel, for they said, Surely they are defeated before us as they were at the first. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and there was the whole city going up in smoke to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked, for they saw the disaster had come upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them. And whoever came out of the cities, they destroyed in their midst. They surrounded the Benjamites and chased them and trampled them down as far as the front of Gibeah toward the east. And 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All these were men of valor. Then they turned and fled toward the wilderness and the, to the rock of Rimmon. And they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. Then they pursued them relentlessly up to Gidom and killed 2,000. 
So what's the total? 25,000. So all that fell of Benjamin that were of that day, 25,000 men who drew the sword, all of these men of valor. But 600 men returned and fled to the wilderness, the rock of Rimmon, and they stayed at the rock of Rimmon for four months. And the men of Israel turned their back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword from every city, men and beasts, all who were found. They also set fire to all the cities they came to. Man, there's a big old war, big battle. Benjamin is decimated. 600 men left of the tribe of Benjamin. Chapter 21, now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, none of us will give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. Did God tell him to do that? No, right? But in those days, there was no king in Israel, was there? And everybody did what was right in their own mind. So they made a vow. And the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. And they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? So now they're mourning over the loss of Benjamin. And they're mourning over the vow that they made that God never told them to make. That said, none of us will give a, a, a bride to Benjamin. So now the 600 men that are left, they don't have any women. Everyone's died, man, woman, and child destroyed. 600 men left at the Rock of Rimon. They're gathered at that place where they can try to make a last stand. The children of Israel aren't going after them anymore, but they realize now the tribe is going to pass from existence. Benjamin will no longer exist. So they gather at the house of God and they begin to weep. So it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up from the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who had not come up from the uh, come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. So now they want to know who, what city didn't come. God tell them to do that. Are they seeking direction from the Lord? Well, because in those days there's no king. And everybody does what's right in their own heart. And, and at this point, they're thinking might makes right. We won, so we make the rules. And we want to try to help out these guys because we didn't, do, we didn't give them a... We, didn't, we made this vow, so we're going to try to help them out. So let's find out who didn't come. So they want to find out what, what, what city, what, what, what people didn't come. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother... And, and it said, one tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives for those who remain? Seeing we have sworn to the Lord by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters. And so they said, what one is there, the tribes of Israel, who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? And in fact, no one had come from the camp of Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation sent out there 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately. And they brought them to the camp of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. 
And the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Rimon, and announced peace to them. So Benjamin came back at that time, and they gave them the women, who they saved alive, the women of Jabesh-Gilead, and yet they had not found enough for them. Is this amazing to you? That this is real? So God gives us a victory. We don't check with the Lord. This one city didn't come, so we go kill them all. Except for the, the young virgin girls. And we take the young virgin girls, 400 of them, and we bring them and we give them to the, the Benjamin because we all promised we wouldn't give our daughters. Because in those days, there's no king in Israel. And everybody did what was right in his own mind. There is no king. So, the people grieve for Benjamin because there's still 200 guys without wives. Amazing. And the elders of the congregation said, What will we do for wives for those who remain since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? So they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed. So, however, we cannot give them wives of our daughters for the children of Israel. We swore an oath to God. Cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. So we're working our way around. We're looking for a loophole. And they said, in fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway that goes up to Bethel to Shechem and the south to, to Lebanon. So therefore they instructed the children of Benjamin saying, go lie in wait in the vineyards and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then you come out of the vineyards and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh and then go to the land of Benjamin. So um, now get out of the vow that we've made, what we want you to do. The daughters of Shiloh, every year they have this dance. And I want you to hide in the vineyards and when they're doing their dance, come out and kidnap a wife. That way we get around the promise we made to God. Do you see why when Jesus came, he said to the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones doesn't matter how you look on the outside not that long ago there's a levite who won't go into jebus to jerusalem because they're pagans well how are the children of israel acting how are they any different than the pagans they're no different and this story is the precursor to judges this is the appendix that says, this is what was going on in the land of Israel before they started to fall into captivity. That's amazing to me. It's one thing to think of it at the end after 400 years, but no, this is right after Joshua. This is the generation that rises up and forgets what Joshua did for them. Because they didn't stay founded in the word. They didn't continue to do the things that God was calling them to do. So they said, they said, then it shall be when their fathers or their brothers come to us and complain, we'll say to them, be kind to them for our sakes. Notice they weren't offering their own daughters. That's nice of them to offer Shiloh's daughters. <clears throat> we will say to them, be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it was not as though you have given the woman to them at this time, making yourselves guilty of the oath. So the children of Benjamin did so, and they took enough wives for their number from those who danced whom they caught. And they went and returned to the inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. 
So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. And in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges is the book of no king. But during the book of Judges, we also have the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth occurs during this time. So as we've studied the book of Judges, we see the debauchery, we see the twistedness, we see the mess. Keep in mind, as we start, as we begin the four chapters of the book of Ruth, and we take a look at the prophetic uh, uh, connotations of that book, and we see the story of how a man is going to take for him a bride, and that bride's going to be a Gentile. Interesting story, isn't it? A Gentile bride, just like the church. Just like the Lord reaching out beyond the nation of Israel to another. We're going to see that same thing enacted, a, a, a play acting almost as, as the Lord shows us through the real life adventures of Naomi and Boaz and Ruth. How God's going to be, bring redemption to that world. Because our world is just like that still today. That same craziness. As long as there is no king. And everyone does what's right in his own heart. Amen? We each have an opportunity to live in one of those books. It's my prayer. You're living in the book of Ruth. And you stay out of the book of Judges. Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for an opportunity to study your word. Lord, to see just the craziness. The craziness that can occur in the life of a people that were called of a people who saw incredible miracles of a people who knew of your presence and and who had all the opportunity to do right and still would choose wrong just like me god i pray lord as we make this study lord god that, that the thing that we would pull from this a lesson that we would take is that each one of us has an opportunity to be a hero for god if we're willing to make ourselves available to you to be available to your hand to mold and to make. And if we will stay committed and submitted to you, if we will allow your word to guide us, if we will enable you to move in a mighty way through us, oh God, you'll do amazing things. Lord, it's our heart that we would just be in that place, Lord, available to you today in the time of judges in our own world. And that we would enact the book of Ruth as we go out as heroes, as those filled with the Holy Spirit to bring the truth of your word to a world that so needs it. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in this place. That you would be glorified and magnified here as we just honor you and all we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out tonight with a time of worship. Invite you to worship with us outside in the foyer. There are brownies or chocolate cake, one or the other. That was, well, they look the same. So I'll meet you around the cake or the brownies, whatever the case may be, for a time of fellowship. God bless you guys. And go in peace.
thousand times I have failed Still your mercy remains Should I stumble again Still caught in your grace Everlasting Your light will shine When all else fade Never ending Glory goes beyond all else my purpose remains the art of losing myself in bringing you praise everlasting light will shine when all else fades never end your glory goes beyond my heart and my soul I give you control Consume me from the inside out Lord, let justice and praise Become my embrace To love me from the inside out We'll above all my purpose remains The art of losing myself In bringing you praise Everlasting Your light will shine When all else fades Never end Your glory goes beyond all things My heart and my soul I give you Control, consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace. Love me from the inside out, everlasting. Your light will shine with all else faith never ends.
Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. Lord, for opening our eyes, Lord, to your word. Lord, continue to cleanse us from the inside out, Lord. Lord, that you would purge us from all our sins, Lord God. Lord, that you would just find a repentive heart in each one of us, Lord. Lord, that we would just fall more and more in love with your word, Lord God. Lord, go with us as we fellowship. Lord, uh, go with us as we as you send us out to be light for you. In Jesus' name, amen.